I'm exhausted. I'm ready for bed. <laughs> you guys just got off work. Yeah, it's still daylight here. We still have a softball game to play. You just had church, Brandon? Wow. House church, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Had the peeps. Had the peeps over. Do you find it's difficult to just let somebody say church? Like you corrected it real quick with house church. Is that? It's not a real church. It's house church. <laughs> or is house church the real church? Thoughts? <laughs> Oh man, too deep, too quickly. <laughs> we haven't even we haven't even made out yet. How are you? I am beat, man. I'm so tired. Oh, I like your honesty. Yeah, I am whooped. I mean, after I mean, it's just from first thing this morning until now. It's just been nonstop with all kinds of uh, unexpected surprises in the middle of all of it. So anyway. I acknowledge your comment, Scott. I'm trying to do two things at once. Scott wants a lesson in his headphones, I think. That's good. I'm not a multitasker. Yeah, but you just toasted mine. Okay, let's try yours. Yeah? Okay, that's good. Are you talking to me? Hey. Did you just do that? What'd I do? Take an image? Yeah, I was trying to get it off. Um, It was telling me that I could do that, and I'm like trying to get it off my screen, so it did it. So now I know. Hmm, nice. Yeah. Hey, well, how are you guys? Yeah, good. Uh, I'm tired as well, but I'm not on a whirlwind book tour like you are. Yeah. Conversations right. every day, podcasts every day. How many podcasts? Um, I think that I've done four so far, and then um, I think I have you guys tonight – and then I think I have one Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So you can I'm not complaining. You can plug right. them if you want. What, what, right. What's a, a podcast coming up that you're looking forward to? Um, so the guy that does... We're not recording, are we? Yeah, we are. We always are. <laughs> oh, Do you not want are. that in? No, I mean, it's I, 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 probably not because I've never listened to it before. Oh, okay. We'll but I listened to it. I listened to it today, and it it's just like one guy, and he has the greatest radio voice ever. And uh, so he's he interviews like one on one for an hour, which sounds really amazing. Yeah. So I, I'm a long winded guy. I have a lot to say. Yeah. So like uh, the other day, I did an interview about five minutes on my book, and that was brutal. 
I kind of give the five minute version of 55,000 words. Oh, well, give us the three minute well, version. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know. You might edit that down even. So, yeah. Well, hey, guys. So, all three of you are in the same room, and that's not, that's not always the case. Generally, it is. There's been a couple okay. that have been missed, or Scott had to Skype in from yeah. a ditch somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Any, uh, bicycle accidents or backpacking trips or any hikes or anything going on of course uh, yeah we just uh got back from moab uh hiking oh, out there jeff and that's where you had Zach. your last accident right um that was jeff that was, yeah. yeah oh jeff did yeah, two years right. ago that's right no that was a year ago wow. here yeah jeff didn't go this time though I yeah yeah you wouldn't let him count no no, no was, not this time no i'm so i'm literally beat up my my knee is pretty torn up and I probably have to have surgery in the next oh. six months. So uh, I had to sit this one out. No. Yeah. Ah. yeah. It was no, great. Though. It, yeah, yeah. This time of years is perfect. Yeah. On Saturday, we did the whole enchilada and that it started raining when we got to mm-hmm. uh, upper porcupine, if anyone wants to look that mm-hmm. up. But uh, man, it started raining and then it got cold, but it just made it more, oh. more memorable. Mm-hmm. The whole yeah. enchilada is like a descent of like eight thousand, eight thousand from feet, the top, thirty yeah. miles. Yeah. yeah. So they bring you up there, and then you just try yeah. not to die. We didn't get to go all the way to the top. It snowed. We were down at uh, Cocopelli. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> so already dropping snow. That's amazing. Yeah, it was cool though. Yeah, and a couple yeah. months ago, I was in the Sierras for a five-day backpacking trip oh, with some guys, right. and oh, that man. was that was amazing. It was my first time. And, so uh, what part? What part of the uh, Twin Lakes? Twin Lakes, um, Kings Canyon. Yeah, man, that's incredible. It was it was beautiful. It was gorgeous, beautiful, gorgeous. Oh. Just the scenery was endless, and it was quite a an adventure. So is the smoke down at this point? Because I know there's fires like all the time. Well, there was Yosemite was shut down um, that mm-hmm. week or a week before, and it didn't impact down in Kings Canyon because that's south. Um, mm-hmm. pretty far. So we were okay, but yeah, Yosemite, just the idea of you know, all of Yosemite being shut down is really weird to fathom. No, that's crazy. What Love that you? area, man. Yeah, it's beautiful. Is it interesting too, Jeff? <laughs> it's it's <laughs> a, a whole lot more in, interesting than interesting. Yeah. What about you? You. It's the last time we talked, you were about to go on an excursion Mm-hmm. You did. I think you've been on two or three since then. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I talked to you guys right before I went to Wrangell um, St. Elias, and that's in southeast Alaska. So we flew into Anchorage and drove eight hours southeast to the, cor- the border of uh, Alaska and Canada, and we did like eight days there. So it was a town of 50 people. They have like one bush plane company. I think they have two, but Anyway, so this uh, guy flew us out like an hour into it, dropped us off, and left us. So that's the first time that we've ever done something that remote, and I highly recommend it. (laughs) It was really mind-blowing. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know if I've ever had a time in my life in which I've never heard anything else except just the sounds of nature and just the guys that I'm with. I mean, no airplanes, no cars, just nothing, just nature. Just farting and 
<laughs> all the ungodly things. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So and I just got back from Canada uh, in August. We did Alberta. So we did uh, 100 miles in Jasper, but that was pretty rough. It was a little bit. It was unseasonably warm. So the mosquitoes were quite large and quite painful and hmm. uh, sleeping at night was a little bit restless. But uh, And actually, there was some smoke blowing in from Brit- British Columbia, which affected us the last couple of days, which was unfortunate. But, you know, every trip can't be epic. So I guess we'll just plan another one. So the guys that you went with, good, good friends? Yeah, every trip's a little different. Um, so funny thing a, a guy that has been now with us on two trips, he went with us to uh, JMT when we did half of that. And he, both of his feet on the JMT were just blistered and looked like raw hamburger after he got done. Mm. So he took a couple of years off. And then on this one, he said um, he was going to go. So we gave him a new approach, like get new boots, break them in, get boots like we have, wear your smart wool socks, whatever. Day one an hour into it, uh, two silver dollar size blisters on his heel. And, uh, he bailed the next day. So yeah, we, we did it with three guys on this one. Um, yeah, I guess we're not taking him again. (laughs) You have good conversations on the trail. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, or is it just, I mean, is it just having fun hiking? Uh, I don't talk a lot in general, so it's kind of funny that I'm the guy that goes on podcasts and actually talks because I'm not the guy that loves to talk whenever I'm <laughs> hanging out all the time. Um, there's a guy, a guy in our group that goes on every trip and he just loves talking about everything and politics and science and wh- whatever engines. Cause everybody from Columbus works at Cummins engine company. And, um, Usually whenever they get going, I just kind of slowly fade and fall back and just <laughs> let them talk. And I just walk by myself for a while. But I, when I go out, I, I don't mind talking and having good conversation. Um, but, man, I, I, I'm not there to. <laughs> you just like the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soak it in. That's how I do it. Nice. It's interesting. So you're, like, you're kind of like an introvert. Would you call yourself an introvert? Yeah, yep, yep. I'm yeah. a forced extrovert. But you seem to embrace it a little on social media. Like the what you do with your podcast and some of your blog posts are, uh, it can stir up a little animosity. Mm-hmm. You're you're one of those guys that just thread wants to thread the needle and call mm-hmm. call people out no matter what <laughs> side they're on. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Right. Yeah. But or, I mean, or, I. I, I I don't do it like looking to, you know, have a slug out, but I think sometimes, you know, um, I I definitely don't want to take one side or another, you know, and I think that there's a, I don't know. I, I, I don't say this, uh, lightly, but I think that we just, we need more prophetic voices and I don't wear that as a hat of like, you know, saying that that's a great thing. Um, because honestly it doesn't do me any good. Everybody, everybody gets mad at me. about everything. So, but, you know, and I don't do it with any self-righteousness either because, um, you know, I've got, I've got enough in my past. People know from everything that I write, I'm pretty honest and vulnerable about what I put out there. So I I definitely don't sit on a, um, you know, a seat of judgment or self-righteousness. What are we talking about? (laughs) What am I doing here? You're even recording this. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
Yeah. We can talk about this. Yeah. Um, we, we will. Jeff just held up a book, which is really good podcasting. Good job, Jeff. <laughs> no, but it's Appreciate interesting you, to me buddy. that you you're kind of venture you're you're kind of a prophet in that you are voicing things that you see as problematic and and voicing things or voicing things in the way that you think they should go. But yet you're an introvert, and when you do that stuff online, it's just it opens yeah. you up to fire from all sides. I mean, I I know that conservative Christians don't like some of the things you say and people that are non-Christian or liberal Christians, you're, you're probably going to piss off at some point because you're just that kind of guy. What makes you do that? I don't know. Even though you're an introvert. Funny thing is I told one of my friends a story tonight. Um, when I released my first book, which was, um, I keep on I keep on referring to that in 2010 when I released, uh, unearthed that, it's kind of like that moment when Isaiah goes walking through the street naked for three days and like yelling at people. Um, it was kind of my, um, I was just going for it and just putting it out there. And one of the, the funny things about it is that a church here in Columbus, a 55 plus um, Sunday school class picked it up and they wanted to do it as a study. And then at the very end of it, they wanted to have me come in and talk to them about it. And I got there and probably about 30 minutes into it, one of the guys, he said, um, you know, you, you really don't come across like the guy that you write in the, about, you know, the way you portray yourself in the book. And he, he meant you're so forceful in what you say, but like whenever we're with you, you're so gentle and, you know, kind and, you know, I don't know. I, I think I've done better over the years at trying to find different ways of saying things. Um, you know, this latest book is way more, there's a lot more stories in it, which makes it a lot more relatable and vulnerable. Um, previous books were more teaching and things like that. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, you're, you're right though. I mean, people on both sides get frustrated. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess the big thing is that I, I just have no interest in partisanship whatsoever. And there's so much rancor and antagonism in our country between groups and between, you know, political groups and ideological groups. And that's, I guess that's, that's not so much of a problem. It's just that whenever Christians begin participating in that kind of back and forth um, and contributing to the problem, then to me, that just seems like a problem on both sides and not necessarily what Christians ought to be engaging in. Not that you can't have d disagreements or have civil conversation because we should, but whenever it gets to the point of like being uh, hostile and divisive, that's the problem. You mentioned your book. What's the book called, Jeff? Beauty and the Wreckage. Finding Peace in the Age of Outrage. First, wow, that was teamwork. That's good. <laughs> What now? Do you like the design? I mean, you're not going to bag on it. We were just noting something about the design. There's like a um, a fantastical element to the font of the word beauty. It's a nice. It's a nice. It's a nice. All of it. So yeah, I mean, um, when when Ralph sent it over to me, um, the only thing that I changed was the font of my or the uh, color of my name. I think it was like a bright golden rod yellow. 
<laughs> whenever he sent it over to me, I was like, can we just dial that back a little bit? But yeah, I mean, I think that he was just trying to convey like the beautiful part and the wreckage part. And there's kind of that two going together. So, yeah, I mean, I know it has nothing to do with the content, but the way it's the way the covers laid out is uh, it's eye catching. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Good job. Bro. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. <Good> job, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we know Ralph. Um, now beauty in the wreckage. Um, you see, in the intro, you say it's not a, or in the, the uh, yeah, let's just say the intro. It's not a self-help book. Right. But if you were, if it were to be a self-help book, how would it help this headline? Chainsaw-wielding man run over by lawnmower while trying to kill son. <laughs> <laughs> Go. Wow. That's not funny. It's a real headline. Where, where'd you pull that from? Man, this the Daily Wire. It was on the nice. Daily Wire, and then it showed up today on the Drudge Report. Um, but uh, it was a guy who had a, has a long feud with his son, goes after his his son's mowing the lawn. He goes after his son with a running chainsaw. Something happens, he falls or something, and then the lawnmower runs him over. Oh. So it wasn't even the legs. chainsaw that got him. It was the actual lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He got his son or the father? Got the father who had the oh, chainsaw really? running after the mm. son. Yeah. I thought it got the son. Wow. Yeah, I was okay, about that, to say the son had it coming in his Isn't defense. there a, okay, like a wait, wait. sitcom so, call so like This Is Us asked, or something? Hey, you asked wow. the question. You asked the question of Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> or was that just... <laughs> not answering that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go into their specific case and how do they find beauty in the wreckage? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, give us... What's the elevator pitch to the book? I mean, to me, it's like the... It's not like... I'm trying to rid myself of useless words... But the subtitle, Finding Peace in the Age of Outrage, seems like a good enough elevator pitch. But So maybe what was the catalyst where you thought, yeah. I need to do this? Yeah, so I think it was in 2016, I was sitting in an office um, during the workday. And it's, in, it, it's really one of those moments that's inexplicable to me and I don't understand it. And I've only had situations like this a few times in my life, but... I was sitting there and I just had this immense joy just come over me. And it was like nothing that I've ever experienced before. And so I pulled out my phone and I just start typing. And I think I sat there for about 45 minutes and I just typed whatever came to mind. And that ultimately ended up being chapter one in 2016 that I wrote. And then I subsequently wrote um, another chapter, and I think that it was chapter five, possibly. But at the time, in 2016, it was chapters one and two. So I was really excited about it, and I thought, man, I've got an idea for a book. I'm going for it. I even told some people. And as you guys can imagine, if you're going to write a book, you have to have, I think, the stamina and the and enough passion and energy and words and ideas to get through something for that's going to take you anywhere from six to nine to 12 months. And after a few months of thinking about it, I just parked it. And I think that I took both of those early posts, those first two chapters, and I just made them blog posts. And I thought that was it. And in 2017, um, the which I am now referring to as the worst year of my life, we just had one tragedy after another tragedy after another tragedy. 
And from in January, our 18 year old dog, we had to put to sleep, which I'd never experienced anything like that. Um, he was older than all three of our kids. So I have a daughter now in college, but at the time she was a senior. So he was like even six months older than her. And then putting him to sleep just broke my heart, broke our family's heart. And then the next month or right before that, um, some really close friends of ours, um, she was full term and had a baby and the baby just died on delivery and just for no reason. And that was just beyond mm. words. Um, in February, our close friends, as you guys know, I think I told you the last time, yeah. uh, our family in our house church, their son, 15-year-old, got killed in a tragic accident. And then later in that year, like last year, uh, my work partner, who I'd worked with for the last eight years, um, she was diagnosed with cancer. And within two months, she died. Oh, my goodness. And she was just 44 and with two kids and a husband. And um Man, I tell you what, through all of those events, just back to back, and there's so much more than that because I have other friends who have, who who have died of cancer this year, this past year, friends who've been in automobile accidents that got killed, and just relationships that are were on the rocks and are still on the rocks, and I just felt like that I was being crushed, and I I, I remembered that moment when I wrote those two chapters, and I thought, man, how how can you reconcile that much joy? with that much pain. And then I remembered these words of Jesus where he said, I, I, I've come to give you life to the fullest. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, how, how can you say in the midst of so much heartache and tragedy and pain that there is life to the fullest in the midst of this? And so really that became the place where I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to do a work that answers answers questions right i'm not going to say th this is a work where it's five steps to a, a happy life or right. you know five steps to forget your tragedy and move on or fill in the blanks and you'll feel better nobody does or, five I, steps anymore it's seven steps but go ahead oh <laughs> so i, I wasn't going to do the seven step um book good but I think that what I was discovering is that um, I, I had a lot to offer in terms of perspective and just what I have felt and what my friends have experienced and felt. And then and just also kind of in the midst of all of that pain and suffering, looking at how hostile and divided our country is and just looking at how everyone's at each other's throats and everything is so binary and this or, you know, it has to be this way or that way, right or wrong. And I just felt. I remember walking out of um, the Alaska trip last year and, you know, whenever we're on these trips, I'm completely cut off from civilization and there's no way to text, check news, whatever. And that's a great thing. But I can also tell you when I walked out of the wilderness and got connected on my cell phone, um, I just felt the suffocation of it. And I just thought, man. And so this, this book is birthed out of um, pain and suffering. It's birthed out of these kind of the suffocation and anxiety of our culture right now. And just really, I feel like that it, it's a work that um, I endeavored to help us breathe a little bit more again, um, maybe find our hearts again, uh, maybe even save our souls a little bit. So that's what it was birthed out of. Yeah. And and you talk about how um that that this last year 
uh, you had more tragedy in this one year than the previous 43 years of your life. And this man, yeah. kind of, if you could, yeah, com- compress that into one, uh, <laughs> one year, man, it's gotta be tough. And I've cried more tears this year than, you know, all of my other years collectively. And, you know, I, one of the things that I want to say, and I'm so quick to balance everything that I talk about by saying I, and I even say it in the book, I recognize that this is not the greatest pain and suffering in the history of all mankind. And I understand that, you know, you, you can rank on a relative scale um, every person's situation and condition and circumstance, and certainly you'll find, um, you know, some people have gone through worse tragedies than others. But I can tell you that it's really hard to relativize pain. And it's really hard to relativize suffering. And you can't really say that one person's pain or suffering is better or worse or right. easier or better than another's. So, you know, all I'm saying is, is that what I've done here is just simply a contribution um, of my story into all stories. Yeah, you mentioned um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about not being interested in partisanship. And you also just mentioned about how divided we are over almost everything and in in a lot of circles not being partisan means you're against a lot of different groups like like groups that feel like if you're not with us you're against us and if you're not saying you're with us or saying you're against whoever their enemies are then by definition you're against them it's like this uh, one zero binary thinking like yeah. the world is populated by either people that are on your side or they're not. And if they're not, they're enemies. Like how, yeah. how, how what do we do about that? And by yeah. the way, I'm going to press a button right now. See what happens. I think I just took a picture. Skype was doing something. Did it send it to you? It did. Okay. So I think that's what, I think that's what he did earlier. Brandon did it earlier. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways. so now you you guys are the little guys at the top, and I'm looking at myself, which is horrifying. I don't know. You, <laughs> so make, you, you have a daughter in college. You look great. How do you fix this? <laughs> I, I guarantee that Just I'm not going to look at compliment. myself the rest of this. Jeez. Hi. I, you're right. going to make me look at myself the rest of this episode. See, I clicked on that picture. <laughs> I clicked on what you're looking at and then it offered me to share the screen and it put a box right in front of your face. Yeah. Hey, little guys up there in the corner. <laughs> shoot. <laughs> oh, shoot. Hey, Come on, this guy. Hey, way to fix hey, that. hey, little buddy. Um, <laughs> That's terrible. Anyways. Uh, why did you do that, Zach? Uh, well, the, the non-binary or the... <laughs> <laughs> what? He's there. The non-binary. <laughs> <laughs> Did you Are fix you tr- it? Are you trolling me right now, Brandon? <laughs> get, it, just, it went blue. I probably it's just bad. don't prefer to look at myself for the next hour. <laughs> All right. I'll just, hey. Um, no, so you're right. I mean, the issue that we have is that we, we've kind of created a culture where, you know, you have to choose sides. And if you don't, then, you know, I mean, even the narrative is if you don't choose sides, then your inaction is basically support of the opposition, which I find it really unfortunate. And, you know, I, I want to say that, 
I mean, uh, unequivocally, I think that one of the things that I discuss at the very beginning of the book, and the book is very linear in how I lay out the argument, but even early on, one of the first things that I talk about is how quick we are to categorize and label and divide, and we are master classifi- classi- uh, classifiers, and we love to s- assign labels to people, and I think many times... Um, that keeps us divided and it keeps us against one another. And, and the truth is, and you guys have seen the shows where, or you maybe, maybe have even experienced it, that whenever you sit across um, a table and have a meal or share a drink with someone that is wildly different than you, that you, you knew them only by their title. And whenever you get um, into conversation, you, you very quickly realize that they're a human being and that there's a lot a lot more that you share in common than the things that you're divided upon. And so, you know, I think that there's some of it that's our problem because we spend so much time on social media and in places that are so depersonalized that if we could actually be um, around real physical human beings and actually just not argue, but listen to one another, I think that there's something there. But I also think that there, which I discuss in the book is, um, I, I believe that the Christ, the, the spirit of God within us actually begins opening up our hearts and our minds to love people despite even them being, you know, an enemy or totally. the opposition. And that's one of the big things because, you know, um, I think I mentioned it in one of the passages that says that, um, Paul was writing and he said, there's neither Greek nor, um, uh, Scythian barbarian nor male nor female circumcised nor uncircumcised. And, you know, in, in Christ, we lose all of these categori- categorizations and labels. And I think that there's something that even supersedes our, you know, fundamental humanity. I think that we we've run from our fundamental humanity, but I think that we've also run from our divine nature as well. And because of that, we, we are um, dividing against each other at a rapid pace. And so that's kind of where I went with it. I, I really think that um, I really think that the spirit of God can knit us back together and make us whole once again. But I would even, you know, yell out to people who say, well, you know, we're not going to buy into the God mumbo jumbo of just saying, mm-hmm. if, if, if you're not going to go that far with me, then can we at least start seeing each other as human beings without buying into um, the spiritual element of it? And I think that that's a good step is to start meeting people. Yeah, and that passage where Paul says, no slave or free, male, female, it's it's like he's cutting down the the big power differentials of the day um, that were dividing people. But honestly, I think, I don't know what I said honestly there. I haven't been lying up yeah, until Zach, now. Could you uh, just be real with us right now? Just for, I'll, I'll be real. <laughs> but uh, I think because I was in like mainstream conservative Christianity, I, I think a lot of people see that verse as applying to our future. Like eventually, someday. To, to yeah, you, we love to do that, don't we? What's that? We spiritualize everything and... Um, you know, it's just, it's kind of, it's almost like the discussion. I think also in the book, uh, I finished writing in May, so I probably need to go back and reread what I wrote. I'm not a very good uh, pitch, pitch person right now, but um, 
you know, one of the issues I've been dealing with for the last, uh, for the last book and this current book is how easily we try to make everything about our future in heaven, like this future distant, um, you know, as, as if our faith is only good for, you know, getting the ticket to go to heaven one day. And we've done that to the, to the neglect of who we are to be in the present and what our identity is and our purpose is. So, I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. We, we try to spiritualize Jesus. We try to spiritualize the teachings. We try to say that this is something that we um, will realize one day, which I'm not saying that that's not true because we will. I mean, when everything comes in its fulfillment, then it, everything will be realized. And that will, will, that will be the way that we live one day. Don't take but my heaven that, from me. Well, I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll trump that. I'll, no, I don't want to say trump that. I'll, I'll raise that. Hey, um, make it great. Make it great. Again. I'll raise that by saying you can have your heaven, but in the meantime, let's bring it here presently. And I think that you can do both. And I think that that's what the call is, is that, you know, I've heard other people say in um, greater theologians than, than myself, being that I'm not a theologian, um, would say that... We're all theologians in our own way. <laughs> I, I suppose. Oh that it's a, it's a realized eschatology. What we hope for in the future, we actually begin embodying in the present. And so, you know, I that's where uh, it has to be rooted. It's not something that you wish away or, you know, say we hope one day when we get there, it'll all be made right, which it will. And then it's almost like that. If you believe that that's the way it will be one day, then why would we not think that this is a good place to start trying it out, (laughs) you know, at at a bare minimum? Do you think most people truly believe that, like the now in the present is not the time to be, I don't know, um, walking with Jesus and just act and use the right words. And, and then one day you'll get there. Does that make sense? I I think that a lot of people, I think that probably the majority of Christians actually believe that intuitively it's just that whenever you look at the evidence of it, right. of what we have around us, you don't see it. You get so, a lot yeah, of I mean, anger. I, yeah, I mean, and I, I don't know. It, it It's a larger diagnosis that I'm willing to spend a lot of time on because my, my book, I'm not, I'm not quite sure that, well, I'm sure that my book was not written to churches or Christians, even though I think that they would benefit largely from it. So I, I've spent you know, the last decade of my life trying to be prescriptive to the church, which, to be honest, I've just seen uh, a lot of the church just get progressively worse. And so, you know, I think that right now with this current book, I hope and pray that people in the church read it and take it to heart. But honestly, I'm writing to the millions who have left church and given up on faith altogether. So So I think it's for both. So what is the beauty? Can you is there, can you synthesize like in the title, beauty in the wreckage? What is, is that the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I mean, so the way that I set it up in the book is talking about, um, you know, I, I start thinking about these words of Jesus. Well, I, let, let me even back up from that. So one of the things that I've wrestled with for the last decade is how, you know, Jesus uses the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in the gospels. Mm-hmm. And, 
the way that I grew up was always understanding the kingdom of heaven as just being future distant, disembodied, floating around on clouds heaven. And over the last decade, I've been writing about the kingdom of God as being a present and breaking reality. So in John, you'll hear Jesus say something like, um, some people say that the kingdom of God is uh, here or the kingdom of God is there, but the kingdom of God is within you. And so, you know, he's saying very, dis- very clearly that this kingdom, this realm, this dimension that God inhabits is now indwelling within us. So in a sense, yes, I mean, it's the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, and what I discuss in the book is that I'm, I'm not quite sure that people understand the phrase kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And maybe it's because we don't talk about kingdoms anymore and we don't talk about lords and mm. magistrates and you know all, all, all of these things that are very foreign from our 21st century. Except um, for a recent wedding. But your point <laughs> except, taken. Exactly. <laughs> so whenever I started thinking, I, I've wrestled with this over the years of thinking like, how do you convey to people what the kingdom of God is by using something different than saying the kingdom of God. And I was on another podcast a year ago and we were having the hell discussion. And the question was, if, if, um, if Jesus, if Jesus didn't come for this grand decision between heaven and hell, then why did he come? And I said, Shalom. And that's the first time that I answered it that way. And it's the first time that I had even come to the realization that that could be um, the reason that Jesus came. But he's, you know, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. And then another um, gospel, he says, my peace, I leave with you, my peace, I give you. And the thing that's interesting about what he says there is that some people would look at me using the word Salome and say, well, first off, it sounds like a greeting or a goodbye or what people say to each other. Hey, there we go. Thanks. Thank you. You bet. I no longer have to look at myself. Um, but the thing that's interesting about the New Testament in Greek is when Jesus uses the word peace, it's erene. And if, if you guys are familiar with the Septuagint, which is basically the Hebrew Bible that was translated into Greek, right? Because there were Jews who were Greek at the time that could not read the Hebrew Bible. Whenever you look at the Hebrew word shalom, and whenever it was translated into Greek, they used the word erene. So whenever Jesus is saying, my peace I give you, he's saying, my shalom I give you, my shalom I leave with you. And I think that that's ultimately what I think that Jesus came to do. It's a present and breaking reality of us finding wholeness, completeness, and harmony with all things, first beginning within ourselves, and then realizing that into our relationships with other people, and then more broadly in our communities. And so it really centers uh, the point of Jesus, not as a future distant reality that he came to whisk people away to heaven or send them off to hell as much as it was a present reality that we are to experience in in the present, our relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, if you want to use that language, and then ultimately in our relationships in the community. So it's, it's, it's both. It's a, it's what we do now in this life. And there will also be something else later on 
but just because there's something else later on, it's not, we don't neglect this. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, who in the world knows, right? I mean, what, what do we know about tomorrow? I mean, everybody can argue about, uh, preterism or amillennialism or premillennialism. And, you know, is Jesus coming back before the rapture or is there such a thing as the rapture? And everybody has their opinions and none of us can really pinpoint exactly who, what, why, when, where. But the one thing that we do know is that we have hope that things will be made right at some point. And that's where I put my hope, faith, and trust. But in the meantime, um, who am I becoming and what am I taking out with me into the world and into my relationships? Yeah. Hey, are you, um, your, your mic is really good. It's picking up some sort of scratching you're doing. Are you like rubbing a paper? Uh, on your desk or no, something. It's a beautiful beard, but we didn't hear that at all. <laughs> I think my watch, my big honking watch, is bumping it. Uh, so okay. I'll, I'll take off the watch. And your left arm is a lot bigger. Yeah, than your is right that arm. a Sunto? What is that? <laughs> it is. It is a Sunto. You you are mothering me from two thousand miles this is away. Terrible. This is terrible. <laughs> Scott's. Everybody <laughs> always says Scott's a good mother. Did so, you brush your teeth tonight? So, Brent, so Brandon, I mean, could you say that, or would you say that? we were empowered to bring the kingdom every day to this world. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so the, the, in, in all of the wreckage, I mean, we have the ability to be the beauty in this world in the midst of, you know, the hurricanes that are happening everywhere. Including literal yeah, hurricanes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that we begin to discover is that through all of the wreckage that we've caused, whether it be through conflict or strife, the way that we've divided against others, the way that we've hurt and wounded others in our relationships, or the pains that we've suffered from just our physical frailties, our cancers, our Alzheimer's, um, to what we've created in our, in our communities with poverty and racism, and all of those things, um, it's my belief that there's something that transcends all of our conflicts, all of our divisions, all of our pains and our sufferings, and that can can actually give us an opportunity to tap into the deep well of God's goodness in the midst of that. And it, defi- it defies all human convention. It defies circumstance. It defi- defies uh, every situation that we find ourselves within. And... You know, it sounds like um, really fanciful idealism, but you know, you don't you don't have to go too far away from Paul, who had been shipwrecked and beat and then imprisoned, who says, "I've learned the secret of being content in any and all situations." If you go back and look at that word "content," he's not talking about, "Well, I'm just doing okay this way or that way." It actually means I have found a way to tap into the the deep well of God's goodness in the midst of it, and and I've found joy in it. Mm-hmm. And to to me, I, I probably couldn't have spoken to that had I not gone through what I have the last year. Because, you know, what am I going to say that a paper cut is real profound suffering or? you know, not getting a particular job or getting slighted for something or getting cut off in traffic. I mean, you, you, you really, you, you can't appreciate uh, the deep pain and suffering that people have been through unless you've really been through um, some deep pain and suffering yourself. And so, you know, I, I think as I've, I, I keep referring to it throughout the book as the, um, 
the valley of the shadow of death. And just, you know, in the midst of that, had I not walked there, I wouldn't have been able to ever um, experience this goodness. And so I'll give you an example because, you know, we, we can talk about flowery language and idealism, but what, you know, does it make sense uh, in real life? Is it practical? And so the, the biggest example that I say in the book, and there's tons of stories, but last year, whenever our house church went through um, Abbott dying in that uh, accident, and it was an accident in which his two close friends um, caused it. And, you know, just from horseplay. And it was completely avoidable. You know, it was not something that was just, you know, two cars hitting each other. It was just simply horse horseplay. And the next day, whenever we were, we were at their house, um, everybody started showing up and then, all, all of the, our house church was there and all the family friends were there and all of Abbott's friends began showing up and, um, Abbott's mom and dad, Adam and Jackie, they told the kids that showed up, they said, make sure that you know that the, we, that the other two boys are welcome to be here. We want them here. The next day. And yeah, the, just the day after it happened. And so later in that day, the boys showed up and they came in the house and, Adam and Jackie just hugged them and just said, we love you. And there was no hatred and there was no animosity and there was no anger. It was just love and forgiveness. And to me, that, that, that is kind of like the exclamation point on, on this. It's like, if you want to know what transcendent love mm-hmm. looks like that breaks into complete and utter wreckage that can shine through and, and bring in, profound beauty that defies all human convention. You know, all I have to do is look at that and say, there it was right in front of me. And I just had tears in my eyes, but then I saw the way that it had a ripple effect in our community mm-hmm. and people, I mean, people saw forgiveness put on display when, when it would have been so much easier to hate and to hold resentments toward, you know, it's like there was just, so much love and so much forgiveness in that moment. And it's just one of many stories that I put in the book. But I mean, to me, that that's what it looks like. Or even, I mean, even in that moment, totally justifiable if they were like, you know what? Not yet. We can't do it yet. We don't, Absolutely. we don't hate them. We do, we just cannot do that yet. That is, yep. it's like trans rational. Yeah. Like, like I almost want to say irrational because a lot of people would see it like that, but just forgiveness of that sort, or it came to my mind, the, uh, the Charleston church shooting, it was in Charleston, I think a couple years ago and the forgiveness that was preached and proclaimed from the victims families there is just, it's, it's beautiful in a way that I, I can't even put words to. It is. And it goes beyond, I mean, even the worst tragedies like that. I mean, you just take a look at um, just things in our country and the divisions that we have. And it's like, it's just my belief that there is um, something that surpasses all understanding that we can tap into that, that can bring us together, that can give us a peace 
uh, with each other. We don't even have to agree on everything, and that's not the point. I, I, you know, I think that our beauty is in our diversity of the way we think, the way we act, the way we live. But I think that there's a deeper humanity, the way that we were created to be, that we can tap into. Just to be heard. Absolutely. And I think that's just back to the, the story and just seeing that them embrace them, just trying to picture that. I always had this vision every once in a while of just like people in like an orange, like uh, like a bulb, just a person or a family or a couple. And, and just, they, something happens and it just explodes outward. Like there's some Mm -hmm. radiation and then it hits others and it's not like doing something nice for someone, whether you want something in return or you're just doing it out of being kind. It's when you see something like that and you actually witness it. It's spectacular. And it is. Because it doesn't, it registers not as like a 1.0 earthquake. It's exponential to infinity with those that are around it. And they'll never forget it. It's like God just walked in through that yes. couple and just... They sent out just a radiating light of of Christ, and it's I have goosebumps, and I'm I'm just listening to the story. I mean, obviously, it's a horrific thing, but yeah. you know, God takes horrific things and uses His people to do spectacular things. Yeah, that the podcast, your podcast, outside the walls. There was an episode called For Abbott, and yeah. you, you kind of go through that, and that is. I mean, if you're not ready to cry, don't, don't listen. Yeah. But yeah. There, there have been powerful. people. Yeah. I mean, there's people who still haven't listened to it. And I understand. Yeah. Um, one thing I, the one thing I will say is that I, I also don't want to give people the impression that this kind of transcendent love and peace and forgiveness is something that can only happen in the worst of worst situations. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, everyone always goes to the extreme of saying, well, that kind of love is irrational um, because of this worst case scenario. So, I mean, well, there here's a story where there's a worst case scenario and here's where love broke in. But I will say that we have opportunities to do that every single moment, mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in, in things that we would think are the most mundane moments of just being able to take that into places even like in our social media conversations or the way that we respond to the uh, hyper fundamentalist person who's yelling scripture verses at us or the insane out of their mind progressive who, you know, is just completely emo at the moment. But <laughs> we, we, we take, we take the, we take this uh, with us everywhere we go, yeah. which, which I do want to say one other thing is that, you know, I, I've made a point, um, over the last, well, I guess since I've written the book of just saying that everyone automatically assumes that peace or shalom is something that's passive and it's actually not. Um, it's, it's active and it's alive and it's moving and it's growing. And it's, you know, one analogy that I use, it's like, you know, if, if you're fighting a forest fire, you don't carry more fire into it, right? Because it does nothing. And I think that that's where we have the opportunity that whenever we confront the hateful and hostile forces of opposition and hatred and anger, that we actually can begin taking uh, peace and shalom into those situations. Yeah, man. And 
there was this moment in the book where you talk, you know, you've kind of, we've touched on it a little bit when it comes to like the, almost the contradiction or the, well, I'll just say when you, you are here because your aunt died. Yeah. Um, and then your dad was born. Yeah. They wouldn't have tried to get pregnant had your aunt survived. Yeah. So my dad had, has, uh, an older sister. I think she's like 16, 17, 18 years older than my dad. Um, and then after her, uh, there was another child born, which would have been my aunt and my grandparents were done having children and she died of, how do you say it? Whooping cough. Yeah. Uh, she died of whooping cough when she was nine months old, I think uh, six, six to nine months old. And, um, it's really, I mean, just an unbelievable story, but you know, not only were my grandparents not going to have any more children, but my grandparents weren't Christians at all. And they would go each, um, each weekend, maybe a Saturday or a Sunday, and they would visit the tombstone of their, um, daughter who had died. And whenever they would go there, the people from the church would come out and console them and bring them food and just take care of them. And it was because of that love of that community and the pain and suffering that my grandparents were going through that my grandparents actually became Christians. And so it's a really weird thing because I think, you know, not only not only would my dad not be born, but subsequently I would not be here. But not only that, if that community had not have um, embraced my grandparents and walked with them and loved them, then my grandparents would have never known Jesus. And, you know, I, I kind of think about that strange um, contrast between, or the, just the image of, like, did, did my grandma know that the tears that she was shedding and loss, you know, hopefully possibly maybe someday would be tears that she would shed and joy for the seeds that I've planted. Mm. And to me, that's like, it, it's, it, it's the strange tension that we live in and it's acknowledging the great immense pain that we live within, but also saying that in the middle of that, it's not dismissing the pain. It's not minimizing it. It's not trying to you know, talk people out of it, but it's simply saying that sometimes in our lives, there is great good that can come from it. And sometimes you'll never see that. And sometimes you'll never know it in your lifetime that something good could come from it. And, you know, I'm not saying that every time something bad happens, that something good's going to come out of it. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just that, you know, I, I think in this incredible pain, I'm sure that my grandmother or my grandfather would have never dreamt that that death would cause them to have another child, which would produce a grandson who would be talking to you on a podcast tonight about how good God is. (laughs) We're we're trying to put our finger on something that is like, it's to to say it's complicated. It doesn't even scratch the surface. Like I've, I've had small conversations with my oldest daughter She'll bring stuff up about, uh, we, we had a, you know, old listeners to the podcast know about Shane like 12 years ago when he, he passed away yeah. in a similar situation to, to your birth. That's how we have Aubrey. Right. And, 
you know, Aubrey's smart. There's been a few times over the years where she kind of brings it up and to say it's complicated in that I, I love Shane beyond words and you, I wish that didn't happen at the same time. I have Aubrey and I'm a hundred percent glad she's here. It's, it's incredible. And it's to try to, I don't think, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, one of the, one of the things that I say in the book is that it's okay to carry both. Yeah. And I think for too long, I'm just going to speak to my own experience. I mean, the way that I've always understood faith from the people who have guided me and taught me over the years is that, or at least from the way that I've seen others uh, experience it, is that you feel like that if you're carrying that pain with you, that somehow you're deficient or that somehow God isn't healing you or somehow that you need to get over it. You're not trusting his plan, not trusting the plan, you know, or buying into the cheap and trite, you know, well, God just needed another angel or whatever. And and I think one of the things that I'm saying so directly to people is that it's okay to carry your pain. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And, and it's also okay at the same time to also see beauty around you in the midst of it. And I'll, I'll give you one story that kind of highlights that point for me is that um, I was sitting on my back porch in November of last year. And that's when I, my, I got a text that my coworker had just passed away. And man, I was sitting there and I was just crying and I just had tears just like gallons just falling out of my face and onto my phone. And I look up and I see Will, who was um, like seven at the time, and he has this full Spider-Man costume on and he's running full sprint across the yard, jumping and getting down into the, you know, squat, shooting webs. And I just start cracking up. And I I thought, man, what a, what an unenviable, um, situation that we're in as human beings is that, you know, here we sit, um, holding this immense pain, but at the same time, it's okay to hold it, but it's also okay to laugh and see the beauty and the, and have the joy in it. Um, well, yeah, there, there, there are implications for a lot, a lot of people and, and not to, not to take away from, you know, the individual family and, um, but, just, but he's about to. But I'm about to. Well, no, not, and not, not to diminish that. But just like um, like wars, like I, I wouldn't be here if World War II didn't happen because yep. my grandpa might have married someone else that he found before he went off to <laughs> to fight in the war, right? Like there's yep. there are a lot of things that we're not glad about, mm-hmm. but in some way... <laughs> In some way, we appreciate, I guess. I, I don't know what the word is. That it, without without those things, even without tragedy, we yeah. wouldn't be here. And it's a little selfish, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. It's it's it's, it's beyond probably describing. What, yeah, I was what say, we're supposed probably, to think. It's okay about to say it. I don't know. Well, like, f- yeah, well, <laughs> one of the things you focused on was pain, Brandon, and carrying mm-hmm. that pain. And it just reminds me of of a movie I just saw this past week and I can only imagine and Beverly Hills cop four. Yeah. And 
and there's uh, what is it? Mercy me. Um, and that song. I but can only imagine. I can only imagine. What did I say? Mercy me. Yeah, I can only imagine. And but in there, this kid just can't. He's a musician. He can sing, but he just he doesn't have any experience in anything. But he starts. He's going through. The, he's running from this just incredible pain of of life and family and and from that and someone you know told him you've got to use that stop running from it and and out of that came you know an incredible moment for this young man um and i mean there's a good example of where you just dig into the pain and you use it for for good and once again it's it's that just incredible thing that God can do if you're willing to just harness it. I think that that's the point is that, you know, we, we have the opportunity of every single moment to decide what we're going to do with it. And I think that, you know, one of the ways that I've described it in the book is that it can either become an end destination or a transformative passageway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in my life, I've had those moments where, you know, I've experienced um, some sort of pain, and and I I I realize that sometimes when I've experienced that, that it's pushed me into very dark places, and it's made me irritable and hostile. And you know, I use it as an energy source to push more negativity and brokenness out into the world. And mm. I actually had a coworker. Um, <laughs> you know, God bless him, you know, it was a huge moment for me, but, um, I think it was a couple of years ago I was talking to him on the phone and he was like, man, you know, at, at, um, in, in the rest of your life, you were such a peaceful guy, but when you're at work, you are just angry. Yeah. And I was wow. like, ouch, man. And I thought, you know, I, I've taken some uh, personal, um, um, bitterness and made it, um, some personal bitterness at work and I had made it a negative energy that I was living out of. And I, I think that that's what we can do. And it really doesn't matter what your specific situation is. It's that whenever you go through it, you can choose what you want to do. You're going to take that pain and you can let it fester. It's just almost like a wound. I mean, you can let it, uh, be, be untreated and it can become, it can fester and it, it can infect and it can just take over. And I, I, that's what I was letting it do metaphorically in my life. And when he called me on it, I was like, oh, which lends itself to say, man, we got to have people in our lives that are willing to just be brutally honest mm -hmm. with us sometimes and say, man, I love you to death, but I see this in you. And I desperately needed somebody that and so I had a blind spot that I couldn't see. And he was just so brave to tell me that, which then sent me on a different trajectory into my life of like, man, I don't want to live this kind of compartmentalized peace. I need it in all of my life. Yeah, I've been there, probably still there at work. Man. I, <laughs> well, I think that we all I still are uh, to some degree or another. Yeah, people are on a short leash. Real quick, Brandon, what was his Twitter handle so we can instruct your followers to go after him? <laughs> <laughs> He's smart enough to stay away from social media. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I, we're we're I think we're yeah. You've gone above and beyond, and I know you're tired. Yeah, it's like you. four ten a.m. right now for you, wherever you are. <laughs> 
<laughs> Are you in the Pacific Ocean somewhere? <laughs> Man, I I'm wanted. A, uh, I'm on a boat in the uh, Pacific right now. It's a large boat. <laughs> wanted to uh, get into incredible some, uh, internet. Connection. Don't get it. What do you? Some do? other stuff oh, like goodness. your in the first chapter when you quote Father Richard Rohr and you say uh, when he says uh, you have never been separate from God except in your mind. I yes, wanted to get amen, into that um, because there's some. There's some uh, deep hey, theological issues, but uh, we, yeah, we uh, got to wrap this up. T- touch, touch base with Richard Rohr, and he'd be happy to answer that question. Yeah, we sh- yeah. Hey, let's get him on. <laughs> yeah, and then, be like, Father. Brought, I'm, I'm glad you brought Mr. Father Rohr up. I mean, he does a full-on blurb for you. You got Hillary McBride. You the, got Keith Giles, the Polly Brothers, and Mr. Basinger. You got some Steve good, Austin. Steve Austin. He, Steve Austin's coming on on the show too. Look forward to that. Yeah, I, I'm leaving people out, but I mentioned. Yeah, I, let me just tell you really quick: is that there are some there are some people that I've touched base with in the past, either for the podcast or other things, who are complete asses. <laughs> but the people who gave blurbs for the book are such amazing selfless people. I mean, they're so personable and so relatable and just so willing to, Oh, and uh, Kurt Willems as well. Oh, he yeah. went the four, four, but man, just incredible, incredible people. I'm yeah. not worthy. Yeah, you are. Break that. Dude, yeah. Just don't tell yourself that that's not good. So Brandon Andrus, do you have a website that's like brandonandrus.com? Something easy? I do, but uh, for the book, it's going to be beautyintherecage.com. That will take you nice. to a special place. And that is beauty in, beauty in the wreckage. Beauty in the wreckage, yeah, dot right. com. So you'll find everything there. Um, on the pod, I released um, an episode that was the introduction of the book. So it's the introduction to music, which is great. Hilarious. <laughs> I released an episode last night, uh, uh, one of the longest episodes I've done, 20 minute episode with uh, um, Tag Team with Steve Steve Austin. So it's kind of a mix 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 mat mix match of uh, my book and his book together, kind of going on a similar topic. So yeah, you can check that out at Outside the Walls, and I think it's about enough plugging for right now. Great. Yeah, we've had all of them. we've had uh, everyone on, but Richard Rohr, and we should. Uh, and we Steve should Austin's coming on. Yeah. We'll, so we'll not to be released, but the by tour. the time people are listening to this, at some point in the future, they w- would have already heard Steve Austin. So Brandon, it, it was a you. great conversation. Thank you with so much. Yeah, thank you. Oh, real quick. Always good talking to you guys. Go backpacking um, sometime. I got one more. Here to oh, you do, you have a, another question? I got it. one more. So, little, the, little. I don't know why little came out. Spit it out. Huh, We're interesting. In the, you're walking into the New Jerusalem, whatever little that is, whatever that looks like. The little temple. The little temple of New Jerusalem. <laughs> And you're being escorted in by one person, living or dead, and you have a walk-in music. Give me oh, the person yeah. and the music. I don't remember if I asked you this when you were on the first time. You're, this is your third time, but it doesn't matter. I've things, never, things yeah. changed. Go for it. Gosh. I'm, I'm the worst at these because I'm always too serious. Everybody would probably say the Rocky song or something. You can't um, say your wife. You can't walk you in. That's lame. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we did get Celine Dion. Oh, good grief. Yeah, um, let's go with. Uh, he doesn't believe in heaven. And I am the worst at these. Gosh, you should have given me a heads up. I mean, obviously, family and stuff. So I'm not going to do that. Um, let's just say. 
gosh, this is so bad. Oh, how, how, let's just go out of left field. How about uh, Leo Tolstoy? Nice. <laughs> oh, good, because I got a quote from him, too, in your book. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes. That's chapter two. It's funny. These are the quotes <laughs> that I love that Scott's like, I didn't want to talk about that. A person can become accustomed to the worst of lives just as long as everyone around him lives the same way. Ooh, I love it. It's a good one. He's got another one from Tolstoy. Um, So it would be Tolstoy and then, yeah. You know what? My favorite song of all time is uh, The Transfiguration by Sufjan Stevens. So, yeah, I would just play the ending of that. Or... There's an Arvo Park song. Um, you know Arvo Park? No. No. Oh, man. It's kind of this kind of gothic chamber hymn music, and uh, the song would be De Profundus. That song sounds like you are getting ready to do something epic. So I think that's the two I'd use. One thing I will say, last thing that I'll say is that I I love music and I actually put together a playlist for my book on Spotify. You can either search my name or, and once you search my name, it's under beauty and the wreckage playlist and it's in a particular order. So it's actually in the order of how I wrote the book and the music goes along with it. So awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys. Great talking to you. Much love and see ya. Yes, soon. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.